Israel a judgment, if you will, that they were not following him in his full obedience uh, as it related to bringing about justice and letting righteousness rule in the land. And it was a series that I think was very helpful for us as we continue to recalibrate what God's calling us to be, not only as individuals, as families, as a church community, but also as Christian and followers of Christ in our nation. Many of you would readily agree with me that this has been an intense kind of presidential season, (laughs) presidential election season, to the point that they now say that many people are just turning off TV, social media, and those kind of things just to get space. I don't know about you, but I've been one of those people. I'm sort of a news junkie, and it was a couple months ago. I just decided I just got to stop watching all the stuff I do just to veg because it was getting me frustrated in different kinds of ways from whatever angle you may be coming from as it relates to a politics. But I knew at the end of the Amos series that there might be some need to just let God speak to us, and I didn't quite know what that would mean for us as a people. And so I left sort of this Sunday open. And... Um, I chose on Wednesday night, before I came to our rooted group that meets here, um, there were two important things on Wednesday night. One was the Cubs and Dodgers game, and and yes, the Cubs Cubs made the World Series, sorry. I'm from the Midwest. 1945, come on. I haven't won it since 1908. That's over 110 years ago, almost 110. Anyway, so I started watching the Cubby game there a little bit, but then I also flipped over to the uh, uh, third presidential debate. And I caught just the first 10 minutes of the third presidential debate, and I usually don't find myself getting upset or anxious too much at the television unless it's a football game and things aren't going well and I need to instruct the referees or the players, whatever it may be. Some of you guys can probably relate to that. I appreciated how the debate started off. Front and center, Chris Wallace had a straight-on question as it related to the Supreme Court. That question, though, uh, migrated into the question concerning the right to life uh, and uh, pro-choice issues. And the reason I got frustrated is because maybe, maybe it's because I have a child who was born with Down syndrome. Maybe it's because our fourth child is an adopted orphan from China. But the whole sanctity of life thing is pretty dear to me personally. And I know it is to many of you. And I caught myself as I was listing them being very frustrated uh, as it was sort of dialogue concerning Supreme Court justices. And I believe that an election really, you can have all the personality interplay that you want and posturing and media and all that can be, but it really comes down to issues. And the issues for me, one of the foremost issues was the first question of Wednesday night's presidential debate because you're ending up putting people on a Supreme Court who will end up never being voted off, ever. And, you know, there's possibility, they say, of four Supreme Court justices in the near future uh, needing to transition because of age and other reasons. And so I just dearly appreciated a policy question leading off the debate. But as they began to discuss it, it came into the camps of 
not how you go about having, I think, truth, righteousness, and justice coming from the Supreme Court of the land, but what particular affinity group is that court going to angle towards? And in one sense, for all people to be represented, I can appreciate and understand that. But I got somewhere in my spirit just an angst that caused me to direct some words at the TV. I'll admit to that. And the words had to do with what can sometimes be a cavalier attitude towards the life of an unborn. And I think, what would God say to us? And then I had to ask myself as a pastor, well, how am I leading the church to think rightly about the sanctity of life? Because being in the culture, we're going to look at it briefly today, we can go into places that really we don't need to be headed as believers in Christ concerning life. But because of culture, because of maybe laziness, even in our own Christian communities, we end up there. And so I was really burdened and broken. I wasn't yelling as much as the TV as I was. There was just a deep conviction in my soul about where we are as a people, as a nation, as individuals concerning the sanctity of life. I came to Rooted Group, and I had a little bit of an edge on me. (laughs) After Rooted Group, uh, one of the new people that's uh, begun attending our church came up to me, and she said, "Um, Carrie, just really appreciate that. I've been involved in sanctity of life for a lot of years in my life because of my background. And I've asked her to come and just share a few moments this morning out of her heart because she has carried this burden issue in her life and in her experience and her career. And um, I also want you to meet meet a really great new lady that's a part of our church community. If you've not met her already, I met her when my family was visiting our house being built in the new neighborhood. And so she is my future neighbor. (laughs) Jennifer Hoffman, would you come? I just told Jennifer to share what's on her heart related to this subject. There's your mic. You're good. If you need to put something on the table, you're good over here. What an honor to be here. Um, Yeah, I had been listening to the debate on the radio right before coming into Rooted the other night, and I came in just feeling sick um, because it's such an issue for me. I am a retired nurse midwife. I worked for 22 years um, taking care of women, doing life cycle, well woman care from teen through elderly, and then I had the honor and the calling to deliver babies. Um, So my life was two days in clinic and 24 hours in the hospital delivering babies for 22 years. I got to deliver my oldest, one of my oldest, my second oldest grandson. So we have a special bond there. Um, When we were singing the hymns this morning, I was you know, just praying because you never know quite what you want to talk about when you come up here. And the Lord gave me this vivid picture of a huge battleground. And there were dead and dying all over that battleground. And in this country, we are getting close to the 60 million uh, abortion mark since Roe versus Wade. And there weren't just almost 60 million dead babies on that battleground, but who knows how many wounded 
And it's been my experience as a midwife that I've never, I never had a woman regret having her baby. Never. Not one. But I've had um, um, many women that I've met that regretted having abortions. And I'm not a psychologist, and I haven't done the research, but just in my experience, I really feel like a lot of the health problems and mental illness problems that women have, and, and men too, because men don't have a choice in whether their child is aborted or not. I mean, many men are suffering because they've lost children this way. But, you know, women with depression, anxiety disorders, eating disorders, um, you know, just the whole gamut. Um, a lot of times when I'd see women like this, just just kind of a mess coming in just for, the, for a routine checkup, I will look at their history and see that they had had an abortion sometime in their life. They'd been lied to. Um, they'd been lied to that it was just a tissue, that it was their, ch- that it was a choice, that it, it just, when you go to an abortion clinic, they don't tell you anything. They don't warn you that you might have psychological issues and emotional issues for the rest of your life. And um, so it, it's all based on a lie, the whole abortion industry. So today I brought just a little dot. You can't see it from where you are, but I just made a little dot on a paper because that's about the size of a fertilized egg. And at that moment, when fertilization occurs, every single thing about that, every, every thing about that person is decided. You know, the Bible is very clear that God knew us before we were born. He knew our days before there was yet one of them. And he's the one that chose what color of eyes, what color of hair, what kind of a temperament, how tall we would be, whether we were a male or female. All of those things were decided at that moment of conception. Um, the morning after pill is touted as a pregnancy prevention, but it really is a an implantation prevention because conception has already occurred before the morning after pill works. So what it does is it makes sure there's no place for that little fertilized egg to nest, basically. Um, so that's the beginning of the continuum. Ten weeks later, I have a, a life-size little baby here, ten-week baby. You can see every finger, every toe, the ears. They have footprints. They have fingerprints. They suck their thumbs. They move around like crazy. If you ever see an ultrasound of a tiny baby... Where in this continuum the lies begin, you know, that it's okay to just do away with it because it's tissue. But these babies have their own DNA. They have their own blood types. They are not just tissue. They are their own people. So um, I just, I have a heart for women who've, who've been damaged by the lies, that abortion's okay, that they felt desperate. Maybe they were raped. Maybe who knows what their situation was. But I have such a heart for men and women who have suffered from situations where they've had to do something that they now regret. And um, there are ways to seek healing and seek restoration. And I just have such a heart for that. Thank you, Jennifer. So with that, I'd like to take you on a, with that, I would like to take you on a little journey.
Now I want you to look at a verse. This verse is in Psalm 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5 says this concerning his calling. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Two things here. The Psalm 139 verse articulates clearly that God is with us forming us in our mother's womb. There's some people here this morning that are expecting. God is not only with you as the mother or the father. God is with that baby forming it in your womb. Protecting it and taking care of it. Jennifer articulated so well God's design. But even before then... It says in Jeremiah, before you were conceived and began to grow, God knew you. And for Jeremiah, God had set him apart. Set apart is another type of terminology for sanctify. That's the sanctity of life, the whole thing of being set apart. God values life. God values life, but I tell you what, there is someone who does not value life. Do you know his name? Lucifer. Satan. A fallen archangel. And he despises God's creation. Especially the creation that Scripture says is made in the image of God. And so, this verse. John 10.10. We usually give reference to the latter part, but the front part of it says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So you can be guaranteed to this day in and day out, wherever God may be, He is focused on life. And as we draw near to God, our hearts for the sanctity of life should grow. At whatever stage, whether before conception, conception through the whole gestation period, and what is it like? You know, they say that uh, that someone is able to survive outside the womb now at 24 weeks. I remember praying for one of those children once, actually born, I think, right there in that 24-week period, and she's now a senior in high school. Three thousand people, girls, ladies, wake up every morning with an unwanted pregnancy. Three thousand. 
Guess what? You may be close to one of those people. And you can encourage them with these type of verses to let them know that God values life, but there is one who doesn't value life, and he will position us and place us in corners where we don't want to go, ultimately. But he presses into our culture that way. You know, I had a a rather striking phone call from my son, who's a sophomore in college at Cal Baptist University on Friday night. He'd actually call me earlier in the day and said, Dad, we're taking 40 people up to the little mountain. I forget what it's, a hill area there in Riverside. And we're going to have worship time. And so he does this and gathers people and they go and they strum guitar and they sing. And he said, Dad, i got some words to share and those kinds of things. And I said, Zach, you go for it, man. That's great. He calls me at 1030. This is not a good call. Because he should be on that hill doing what I knew he was going to do. I immediately said when he called, Zach, what's the matter? He was fairly calm for the situation. Apparently, someone had come down a hill as they were all standing in the parking lot before they had gone up the hill, but the car had come down this hill and had run off the road. It hit a palm tree. It crashed. The car lit on fire. And he was a first responder. He and a friend of his took off and ran towards the noise. They didn't know what it was. They got there. Somehow the man either got thrown out of the car or whatever was about 10 feet from the burning car. You can read it in uh, the newspaper. And it says the people there on the scene gave CPR. Him and his friend looked at each other and said, you know, somebody, somebody's got to, we need somebody to do CPR. And then they realized that they do CPR. And so in that moment, Zach went and with his other friend, they started doing the compression thing on this body that was literally mingled. He said, Dad, there were appendages in places that twisted that should not have been, and there was blood coming out of his mouth. And he described it, and I don't need to get into the detail of it, but if you can comprehend that kind of scene. And I was so proud of him, and and we're going to have lunch here later today, and and just really, because he's sort of shell-socked a little PTSD after that kind of thing, right? And will be the images. He says, Dad, I can't get out. And, and he couldn't go to school the next day, and he had a full day of class. And, and I gave affirmation to him as his mom did and his brother. And But why would you run towards that scene? They actually drug him away from the burning car when it could have exploded. Why? Because... Of the sanctity of life. Life is valuable. And we need to do whatever we can to see life thrive in all spectrums. In all spectrums. I have this graphic with the American flag. One nation under God. And then underneath that are the words under attack. A lot that we banter about in a political season like this has to do with concern for our nation. And where's our nation at? This is not a political talk by any means. But I want to affirm to you that that's true. Our nation is under attack, but it's not only our nation. It's every nation. 
It's every community. It's every family, and it's every individual. Because there is something that's going on deeper behind everything that we see culturally. And that is, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has come that you and I may have life. The morals and some of the direction of our country is a tragic and sad kind of thing. The O.J. Simpson trial, you may recall it, a few years ago. Robert Shapiro was interviewed by Larry King. Larry King asked Shapiro, he said, he said, well, Bob, what really happened with O.J. Simpson? What is the truth? And Shapiro, he said back, he said, well, Larry, we really do not deal with the truth. This is a lawyer saying that. And you're like, really? And so Larry said, he says, well, Bob, let me put it this day. What, um, I, what do you think happened there with O.J. Simpson? And Shapiro said, he says, we do not deal making moral judgments, but professional judgments. To which Larry rightfully responded, he says, because you have chosen to make a professional rather than a moral judgment means you've already made a moral judgment. What do you mean you don't deal with the truth? But that kind of concept comes down through legal systems because it's all sort of a a play on who can angle and who can do what. Our nation under attack, what's under attack, and I titled it this way, is life, truth, and morality. You know, there was a, um, behind the scenes, one of those secret videos that came out. Was it this week or whatever from that O'Keefe guy? And you watch that? Project Veritas, right? And they actually went into some campaigns and got the scoop on what individuals are trying to do at certain rallies and bringing about corruption and bringing about people who would get upset and, and you know, throw turmoil into it. And those behind-the-scenes undercover videos, you're like real intrigued by them, and you sort of get a little nauseated by what you see happening behind whatever camp it may be because you're like what you're seeing on the media to some degree maybe isn't spontaneous, maybe it's orchestrated, or maybe what's in print wasn't in print because some objective reporter decided to articulate something, but because there was some underhanded way of a campaign trying to get that position taught. Or out there. And, and all that kind of stuff just makes us yuck with the political season, right? Why is that? Because not only did Jesus come to give life and give it to the full, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is a right and there's wrong. There is morality. We spend so much time anchored in what's on the right side and what's on the left side politically, but we many times forget what's up and what's down. It's not what's right and what's left. And that's where our heart and our discernment should be as believers. And if you want to have a behind-the-scenes kind of video concerning what's really happening, it's the thief. 
And he's seeking to bring corruption in all kinds of ways. And where our hearts need to go is to have an understanding that our battle is much bigger than even what we see in the news or behind the news. Do you know who the first vice president of the United States was? John Adams. He was also the second president of the United States. Here's a quote from John Adams. John Adams said this, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Whoa. What do you think? I think that's some of our challenge. But what's our challenge? Yeah, our challenge is, is the Constitution being upheld? Are we a constitutional people and all that's involved? Are Supreme Court people going to interpret the Constitution appropriately? All that uh, discussion. But behind that is, are we a moral and religious people? Because if not, then maybe our system of government will continue to fail. I want you to know this simply and straightforward. I'm not going to keep you long here today. I want you to know this. Our culture, we have a slide for that. Our culture is in crisis. And Jesus' followers must stem the tide of this crisis by demonstrating and proclaiming the love of Christ to a world starving for love, meaning, and hope. Our world is in crisis, and Jesus' followers must be able to stem the tide. It says this in Ephesians 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead, concerning Christ's followers, Jesus' followers, in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, here's an articulation of the Apostle Paul saying, this is reality. This is truth. You want to go behind the scenes? This is what's true. And in this passage, he articulates three battlefronts that you and I are consistently up against in our own world and our own personal life. And the three battlefronts are these, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You were dead in your transgressions and sins when you used to live, when you, what? One, followed the ways of the world. Two, you can go down to the last statement, they're gratifying the cravings of our flesh, our me, me, me part. We were born in sin. We're self-centered. And three, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Paul is acknowledging that there is spiritual warfare. There is an entity, Lucifer, maybe not around every place, but his workers with other fallen angels are. And you can have direct oppression and crisis that comes into your life because of the adversary and his workers. This is the truth of this word, that you and I are under attack. Our nation is under attack. For life, truth, and morality, but the attack is coming from the adversary who is seeking to disrupt the world, the ways of the world, the thinking of the world, the demise of the world, the corruption of the world. He is taking that sinful nature and agitating it, just like he did back in the Garden of Eden when he first tempted Adam and Eve. And then, he himself is a principality a kingdom of the air that is seeking to wreak havoc 
And so I just simply want to challenge us that our culture is in crisis and we need to be responding in appropriate ways. But to respond in an appropriate way, we have to be open-eyed and not get our angst all up into what's right and left, but what's up and down. And what's up and down is the divine, eternal world of God and his unfailing love like we sang about. And what's down is the ugly underbelly of an adversary who was cast to the earth, who is a roaming lion seeking whom he may devour. He's seeking to devour individual lives. He seeks to devour cultures and institutions. And there is a battle going on. Now, what I'm saying in this is not that we shouldn't be politically involved or we shouldn't provoke our conscience or we shouldn't, you know, reason with the policies and the issues at hand. Yes, do that. Get out. You must vote. And you must vote in a biblical worldview kind of manner as God leads you. Whether on a national ticket or a local ticket. But you also need to step behind the scenes and battle in this attack as a believer. And this is how you battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm going to take the flesh. In Galatians 5, it says we need to choose to live in the spirit and not the sinful nature. On a daily, regular basis, we have to choose the things of the Lord and not go towards the bent of a sinful nature that is self-centered. The devil, the devil himself can only be fought in one way, to overcome. One of these days, we'll take a couple of weeks on that, on direct spiritual warfare and how to understand the devil's schemes and how to overcome those direct attacks. But what I would like to look at is how do you overcome the ways of the world? Because I think the ways of the world are the ones. We got that slide? The world, how are you going to overcome the battlefront of the world? Well, first of all, I take you to Romans 12. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You overcome the world by renewing your mind and thinking what is going on in the world around me. I'm going to posture to you three really big words right now. And these words may go over the top of your head. Hang with me. Because these are the things that are happening in our world. They're summed up by a guy by the name of Peter Berger a number of years ago. I read about them in a really brilliant book by Oz Guinness called The Grave Digger Files. Robbie Zacharias also gives reference to these kinds of things. But it's the context for which I see the schemes and the ways of the world. And the first word is this. Secularization. Secularization is the process by which religious ideas, institutions, and interpretations have lost their social significance. An example of this would be if you had some big-time social issue that was being discussed, and there was a panel of people, and you were sitting in a large auditorium, and they brought out the panel, and they introduced you on the panel to an academician, a professor, a, uh, a, a medical uh, a doctor, maybe a psychiatrist, uh, a psychologist, too, maybe, alongside of there. And, and, and maybe with that, there would maybe been a lawyer or maybe a, a politician or government person, maybe somebody in the behavioral science area, and you were going to hear this discussion on this hot, very difficult social issue. And then the last person on the panel was a reverend. In our culture today, before it even started, people would assume that the reverend, they already know what he's going to say, 
and that his ideas are prejudiced. But everybody else is objective. And they're going to have an open discussion. That is an example of how religious ideas, institutions, and interpretations have lost their social significance. In our culture, the reverend would not be perceived as the smart one. And I'm not saying that because I'm an ordained minister. I'm saying that because that is the reality of which we live. Step by step, you continue to see the breakdown of this. It's a way of the world. Our minds need to be mindful of it. Our minds need to be understand what's going on. It says this in a uh, creed written by Steve Turner. Hang with me on this. This is the modern thinker's creed, an atheist creed, if you will. We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe that everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone to the best of your definition of hurt and to the best of your definition of knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in therapy of sin. We believe the adult, that adultery is fun. We believe that sodomy is okay. We believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything is getting better despite evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated. You can prove anything with evidence, you know. We believe there is something in horoscopes, UFOs, and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man, like Buddha, Muhammad, and ourselves. He was a good moral teacher, although we think that his good morals were really bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the ones we read about. They, are all, they all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that after death comes nothing, because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. If death is not the end, if the dead have lied, then it's compulsory, heaven for all, except perhaps maybe Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. We believe in Masters and Johnson. We, uh, what's selected is average. What's average is normal. What's normal is good. We believe in total disarmament. We believe there are direct links between warfare and bloodshed. Americans should beat their guns into tractors, and the Russians would be sure to follow. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions, and conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe there is no absolute truth except the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the uh, flowing of individual thought. If chance, listen to this, if chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, youth go looting, bomb blast school, it is but the sound of man worshiping his maker. Catch that? If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, youth go looting, bomb blast school, it is but the sound of man worshiping his maker. So the modern thinker's creed is, it's all religion's fault. Religion, spiritual life, becomes dismissed. You and I live not only in a secular culture, but we live within a process of secularization. Spend a lot of time here tracing its roots, where it's going. But be mindful of the ways of the world. Secularization creeping in. The second big word is this. It's called pluralization. The assertion that there are many valid worldviews, but not one is more dominant than another. 
Now, pluralism is good. I like diversity. I like the diversity of Southern California. I like the diversity of being able to find a fast food restaurant in the L.A. area that uh, has a Korean selling kosher tacos. That's pluralism. Okay? Pluralism is beautiful. But pluralization takes it to the point of saying things are relative, as does secularization. That there are no absolute truths. There is no absolute worldview. So what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And do not step on my toes. Do not show your prejudice. Friends, every religion, even naturalism, is exclusive. Don't buy the lie pluralization, a way of the world, what's happening behind the scenes in the uncover video of the adversary. It's working its way and you are becoming indoctrinated, but you are also trying to live as a Jesus follower offering hope and love and meaning in a world. The third big word is the word privatization. Where you are told your faith is a private matter and you are not to bring it into the public arena. That's how somebody can say, well, I am for life. But the policies I'm going to vote for will be pro-choice. Why? There's a separation of what I do in the public arena from what I do in my private life. Okay? So you can do all the religious stuff you want, all the spiritual stuff you want. Just don't bring it into the public square. And so the Christian faith, Continuing to be pushed out. It's the only faith that's it's okay to ridicule these days. Ridicule Islam faith? You're in trouble. Speak down about Hinduism or Buddhism or some other kind. That's just, you know, hey, Eastern stuff, it's cool. But Christianity, the culture in which we live. I bring you to the notice of those three because as I was watching the debate, just for ten minutes, I'm glad I had rooted. I realize that I process at a much deeper level, and it's helpful to me. And I want it to be helpful to you. I don't want you to get all angst and frustrated with the way things appear. But I want to call you into an understanding of what the adversary is doing, not only in our land, but think about the tragedies and some of the trauma that's around the world. The adversary, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he is actively at work, and we have a battle. But the battle is only won by offering the life that comes from Jesus Christ. The life that comes from Jesus Christ. If you go back to Ephesians 2, it says, As for you, you were dead past tense in your sins in which you used to live. And then you go on to verse 4 and following. It says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And here's Paul, man. He's he's ramped, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. John 10.10. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So simply put, this is what I wanted you to know this morning. On the heels of a presidential election, but far deeper than that, on the heels of us continuing to be raised up to be a church that is salt and light in our world. What we need to know is our culture is in crisis, and Jesus' followers must stem the tide of this crisis by demonstrating and proclaiming we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. Demonstrating and proclaiming the love of Christ to a world starving for love, meaning, and hope. And to do, you just need to take his exhortation in Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Secularization, pluralization, privatization, whateverizations you want to throw in there. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to sing a song, a hymn in closing. And as they come, the team to close us in that hymn. I want you to take your angst concerning this political season and even your worry about how an election will go. And I want you to lay it down at the feet of Jesus and worship the great God that we have. For we do not fight towards victory. We fight from victory. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he broke the chains of Lucifer. And it's through his resurrection and belief in him that there is hope for our world. Worship this political season. Don't worry. Be diligent in understanding the issues, the policies that are positioned out there. Vote your conscience as God leads, but please vote. It's a God-given opportunity we have in this land. But do not allow the ways of this world to bring about a spirit of worry and anxiety. The world needs you and I to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission of demonstrating and proclaiming the love of God. Because great is our God. Ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings this morning, as well as your connection cards. Let's worship him in this hymn.